these companies that went into these spaces before because they had capital challenges, issues, problems, decided that they would. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm so Mike sorry. told me not to use the word challenges on this thing, and I'm not sure how many times we're I trying have, to get. We're trying to get one percent better every day. That's right. That's it. One percent. This anyway. podcast gonna get one percent better by not using the word challenges. That's right. <laughs> All right, David, welcome. How are you? We are I'm in the great. nurturing like biosphere of the data center hawk mothership. Yes, we are here. Safe from hopefully any health concerns. That's right. Podcast wood. number 23. 23. 23 and Member me. of Michael Jordan. Oh, yes. Member of a famous movie with Jim Carrey. That apparently no one saw. That's famous right. company, 23 and Me. That's right. Uh, of DNA That's testing right. fame. Come on. So, you know, not to jump in the coronavirus PZ too much here, but... <laughs> We did. We have seen. You know, a couple people asked me this week yeah. about a conference down in San Antonio Data Center World. Are you going to still going to go? Yeah. Uh, you know, just word. And then there's been some conferences that are canceled. Sure. You know, it's like Google and Apple and Microsoft are canceling their big deals yeah. in the next couple months. So there is an impact. Uh, you sure. know, but I just, you know, what do you think about? Is there any impact to our industry other than you know some of these conference disruptions? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably it. The, the, you know, the reality is there's it's impact you know everyone and so i think the <clears throat> industry will probably ebb and flow just like other groups will uh, you know or other companies and industries will be impacted so um you know obviously you gotta probably prepare for the worst hope for the best and you know it sounds like it's people a strong are, strategy yeah people are companies are doing that and you know probably some are more uh because they're larger and maybe they have more risk or going to spend more time focused on it but um yeah so certainly something to be watching for and obviously hoping that people are okay yeah, you know one thing i thought of is that you know a lot of these companies are saying hey you know work from home if you can etc sure. etc et that could kind of serve as like a like a stress test yeah. for certain networks as everyone's like a lot of meetings are going now virtual meetings so sure. it may be interesting to be oh we realized we weren't as prepared for the demand spike as we thought we were so sure we shall see yeah. uh what else is going on you know just uh we're focused on uh you know our beginning of the year has been extremely busy in a good way we you know are are growing our platform to include other markets that we've talked about uh in previous podcasts but we're focused you know really now on the global data center picture and uh, it's very clear to me and our team that you know our business is becoming more and more global on a day-to-day -day basis so um, and you know it creates awesome opportunities for people in the space so um, you know that's where our focus is right now and um, we're just getting after it every day just All like right. you in that crossfit gym big mike well we'll talk about that in a second but it's true you know, it's true <laughs> Just quickly want to just check in on, you know, some of the things we're seeing. Yeah, sure. Uh, just give me like a quick bullet. We're almost through the first quarter of 2020. Yeah. So just like, hey, take your temperature on some of the trends we've talked about in past podcasts and, and, and any changes you see, you know, in those things. Yeah. And I think um, like having a reference point on this stuff is really good as you try to pinpoint things like supply deliveries and demand and all that stuff. But anyway, I, I actually feel like I think first quarter is going to uh, be good just from a demand standpoint. Um you know, 2018 record breaking year in the data center space, 2019, we kind of came back to earth a bit. And I think, you know, 2020 
has started off a little stronger than I anticipated. So I don't think we're going to be breaking a lot of records, but I do think that uh, we're starting to see some trends that point to some of some larger demand coming back in the market. So anyway, I think all of that's good. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned some of the virus challenges that are out there. I think also too some of the election stuff, watching how that impacts just the overall economy as a whole um, will be uh, certainly on our radar. We're, we're watching it. Um, you know, and the other thing that, and this actually goes down to, we had Corey Dyer in yesterday, uh-huh. who is, um, you know, Digital Realty's Executive Vice President of Global Sales and Marketing, and just had a great discussion with him. And one of the things that uh, we talked about was just the globalization of, of our business, as well as the importance of network connectivity and how that continues to, um, you know, be valuable for the maturing data center user. And so I just, I think... We're certainly paying more attention to it because it has become such a part of the strategic direction of some of these companies that are out there. So those are some of the things that we've seen kind of getting into the year uh, as it relates to, you know, things that are impacting the market. You know, something that's come up a lot uh, is, again, just the hyperscale strategy of of these companies choosing to build or lease. And I've used the term levers. I'm changing it to dials. That's my now preferred metaphor. They have changing the dials. So any anything you've seen on that as far as that would impact 2020 going forward no i i think the thing to watch there is just how much of that uh demand is leased versus built themselves and you know i think we we talked about or we made a note about that in in some of the uh, notes down that we'll get to later but uh you know that is really the the impact of our space from a data center standpoint um you know in 2020 will be what happens with with that dynamic all right yeah, uh, I want to talk quickly about some of the travel you're doing. So you yes. were in Boston last week. Did you I was. did you smart pack? Did you pack the car? You no, know, I did absolutely. Um, no, that that is that was my favorite Super Bowl commercial, by the way. <laughs> that was strong, quite strong. Um, no, but yeah, great trip to to Boston, and you know, just connected with a number of people uh, in that market. But uh, and that's an interesting, you know, it's interesting to see that market grow and the regional demand that's there, and and some of the strategic deployments that are being placed there today. Um, that'll you be sum a fun up Boston one to... in a tweet. I'll put you on the spot here. 140 characters less. We're talking old school Twitter, yep. not before they busted out to 280, which is You're not a fan. Such a weak move. <laughs> I want to read a novella. I want the tweet. <laughs> HSOs on. Yeah, uh, I, got, I got. You know what? Twitter. Jack. Let's here. talk. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, one tweet would be um, strategic regional demand, driven by. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I think it just, I mean, All right, fair. no, but I think, I think the, the demand that goes there is it's a more expensive, you know, market. Sure. Yeah. And so the deployments that are going there are like strategically located for the businesses that are around that market. So, okay. And they're not pulling in, you know, business from outside not of the, t- kind I mean, of the regions. That you know, some, yeah, some, but sure. not a ton. I mean, if you have a bigger like size requirement, it's traditionally going to go to markets that are just more inexpensive, unless there's a strategic reason for it to be there and it, and it makes a difference for your business. Yeah, one more put you on spot question. What are the industries that are kind of centered in Boston? Yeah, there's, uh, so biotech, uh, there's a lot of FinTech, which I know you like. Oh, I love that word. Um, there's, uh, you know, I mean, there's technology firms that are there, financial firms. So those type of companies are really pushing the d- demand healthcare. Gotcha, so uh, we got New York City trip end of this month yes we'll both be going we will so you can see our smiling mugs up there get ready uh what are you looking forward to in new york city 
well, I think, you know, one, we're going to the Data Center Dynamics Conference, and so uh, that's always a great event to connect with people in the space. Uh, you know, I think from our perspective, uh, you know, we are continuing, like, to try to learn about this, the industry. I mean, we, we certainly feel like we're deep enough in it to be experts, but I think one of the things that if you're a prof- industry professional, it's like, you know, this market changes so much. You've got to have that learning hat on. And so I'm really making an effort at these events to take the time to actually sit in some of these sessions and really listen and learn. Uh, so I think those two things for me are the uh, what I'm looking forward to the most. All right. I'm looking forward to it as well because I'll be Let's going with it. you. Uh, and then last is Europe. We're yeah. really trying to get you over to Europe yeah. uh, this spring. So talk about what does that look like? What is the time spent in Europe and, and what are you going to gain from that? Yeah. So, um, you know, we've got people now on the ground for us in Europe, which is great. I think for us, um, we want to make sure that, um, you know, the uh, people in uh, that part of the world that are active in the data center industry are aware of what we're doing. And so a lot of that's just relationship building and uh, talking to people in the market and also to understanding. I mean, you know, it's one of the things that you realize doing this as much as we are now is like how different each of these markets are. And, you know, listen, there's difference between Dallas and Chicago, Chicago, Northern Virginia. There's difference between London and Frankfurt, Frankfurt and Dublin. And so just, uh, you know, understanding all that and just to the people in these markets that we've already had the opportunity to meet with are uh, incredibly experienced, dynamic professionals that are, they're growing the infrastructure base over there in ways that, uh, you know, in a lot of ways that was happening in the U.S. maybe a couple of years ago, and they're seeing, you know, spike in a lot of interesting uh, requirements. So that's, that's the purpose for getting over there, and I'm excited to do it. Well, cool. We're excited to see uh, kind of what comes out of those trips and, uh, you know, just kind of continue to deepen those relationships yeah. with those pe- folks there. And then, you know, beyond that, APAC, Latin America, et cetera. So let's go. Good times, my friend. All right. So, uh, you know, we had Corey Dyer, like you said, uh, EVP of sales and is it sales and marketing or just sales? Global sales. Global and sales. Marketing. Whew, yeah. Come on. So shocker of all shockers, CrossFit came up. He is apparently in the cult. I'm sorry. He's an adherent to the workout <laughs> philosophy of CrossFit. Uh, what, uh, how do you look? Is he pretty, pretty ripped? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, I, I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I'd love to, you know, jump into a workout with him, but yeah, he, he was in it and he's been in it for a long time. Yeah, he Sounds has. Like. He's kind of not an OG, but you know, not like he just picked it up yesterday. Yes. And that's kind of been your thing now going to interview people. We do these, like data center know. trips. You're hey, going to find some CrossFit I boxes would, up in, uh, in Europe to go that's hit right. up. I would just, I don't even know how that came up with Corey and I, like there was no, uh, well, you know, this is the old saying, how do you know someone's doing CrossFit? They talk about it. They'll I let know, you know. But, yeah, but I don't, like, I really don't, I cannot tell you. It'd be actually interesting to go back. At, well, that was before. We weren't filming talking about that. So, mm. um, yeah, but he's in it, man. Just add him to add him to the list. I add love it. Because it's a small group, but a committed group. Sure. That's what I'd say. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, we're doing post-production on that, so check it out. It should be coming up soon yes. on the Hawk Talk and actually, channel. Yes, talked about it before. That was... It's one of my most favorite things I get to do Mm -hmm. is sit down with people in the space that are, you know, I mean, these are the people that are shaping the industry and Corey's certainly one of them. Uh, And digital obviously is, uh, you know, a company that just their growth over the last five to 10 years is, it's amazing to see what they've done. So sure. um, That was, I mean, it was a real treat to have him here. Just again, big fish in a big pond. That's right. So to speak. So that's right. Kind of like you. 
Well, Mike, I don't know what to say about that. I'm more of like a, <laughs> well, let's not go there. Anyway, so we've got, uh, this is a really fun topic uh, today. I think it'll be educational for everyone. Yes. We've brought in our resident data center expert, you, David Liggett. So, hey, welcome to the show, David. Oh, Thank you for me. being here. Uh, so we just want to talk about, this is kind of an extension of a blog series that we've been doing for, for a new data center professionals, yes. which we call them the data center fundamentals uh, uh, blog series. Yep. So you can check that out, datacenterhawk.com slash blog. Um, but again, you know, again, if you haven't been in the industry very long, or even if you have, you know, some of the fundamentals of the industry do change over time. Yep. And what was hyperscale five years ago, different today, retail wholesale line is maybe moving, uh, what people are doing. So this is more of a, as of right now today, March 5th, 2020, uh, here's, uh, some of the ways we define different data centers, yeah. you know, some of the different motivations for building them, who's building them, et cetera, et cetera. So we really want to look at the different types. And, and kind of examine them through the same rubric as far as like, what is the main purpose that it serves? Um, who is building it? Uh, and, and what distinguishes it from, uh, you know, the other types? Uh, where are they going to be built? Yep. You know, both location within a market and w where geographically. Um, and then, you know, kind of uh, who's, again, who's owning operator said that. And then what companies will be in those as tenants? Yeah. All right. So let's start, you know, with the most common uh, type of the co-location data center, which and is what... Go yeah, ahead. and actually, the, what I would add to that is, I mean, you brought up the the blog series that we did, but the other thing too is, <clears throat> you know, we 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 talk about these in podcasts. So if you listen to our our content, number one, we thank you. Number two, uh, you know, we're going to refer to these. So when we say these types of data centers, this is what we're meaning, and when we write about them on our site, this is what we're meaning. And and a lot of our research data is gathered, you know, within these certain. Um, frameworks of different types of, of uh, facilities. So I think there's kind of a dual purpose here. One, it's just the educational side of how we're seeing the market and, and where, you know, this is a, it's a capital game. So how much money is being placed in each one of these different types of facilities and why uh, tells you a lot about where the data center industry is today. And then, and, and so it's educating, hopefully everyone that's listening on uh, how these facilities are different. And then two, it is helping you understand when we say these types of data centers or when we mention them on our site or you see a number that's posted on our site about, you know, a certain type of size, it, it is focused on that type of, mm -hmm. of data center. So, yeah. So I think it'll be good again, just to, just to continue to reset and realign, you know, Terminology is very important. Words that's are important. Somebody famous said that once. That's right. Uh, so let's take it. Let's let's jump in here. First one we right. call the co-location data center, yeah. which is or also known as the multi-tenant data center. Yep. Which most frequently when we're talking, yes. this is the type we're talking about. Yep. Uh, so just talk about hey, like what is it? Yep. You know what is the purpose at the high, at a kind of a high level? When sure. We're drill down on maybe a couple different subtypes. Yeah, and as we well. want to. Yeah, we want to try and be as simple as we can. So we would really define this co-location data center as a facility operated by a data center provider or operator, uh, where companies, uh, end users or tenants can lease power and space. And so um, we talk a little bit about it at the bottom, but like retail, wholesale, you know, typically the word co-location has referred to smaller type of requirements that fit into most people's definition of retail. Um, but over time, that co-location number has merged to include larger requirements. And so when we say co-location, uh, facilities, we are meaning, you know, both the ones that house, uh, you know, enterprise type deals, and then those are wholesale type deals, and those that, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, size retail or house retail deals as well. So it's really both of those. Um, you know, the facility characteristics specifically, you know, these are typically, uh, you know, now it's, it's unusual to see any of these facilities be built that are less than a hundred thousand square feet. Mm. And so this is just economies of scale and capital. And if we're going to go spend the money, we need to do it where we can at least get, you know, 40 to 50,000 square feet of raised floor, maybe in multiple data halls. Uh, and some of those data halls are specifically built for like one customer at a time. Some are subdivided into caged type spaces. Uh, and, you know, so you have, you might have 30 customers in one data hall. Some of those data halls have hundreds, just depending on how small or how big the customers are. Uh, but that traditionally is, you know, how you'll see a um, co-location facility. I mean, you know, seven to eight layers of security, perimeter fencing, mm-hmm. you know, all the way down to like security at the cage level. Um, and then, you know, quickly talk about like the redundancy on the power, cooling, yeah. fiber side, like what is a typical center like that? Yeah, have? most most of the data center world now has settled into the N plus one at the electrical, you know, at the, like the UPS uh, and the, the generator levels. N plus one typically... Uh, allows people to feel comfortable. And then there's typically N plus one on the cooling side, on the mechanical side. Uh, now, depending on the companies, you know, there might be a financial company that says, we have to have two in electrical design to make mm-hmm. this work. And you certainly can make that, you can arrange that, but most of the time you're in like an N plus one environment. Okay. And if you look at like, you know, kind of a typical metro area, yep. where will these we typically find, I'm oh, talking new builds, yep. you know, because there's a lot of historical stuff. Maybe talk about some of the historical, yeah. how we got to where we are today. But within a metro, where would you fi- typically find them? Yeah, this be, you know, typically like in, I would say in the suburbs. So areas mm-hmm. where there, you can put a, a bigger si- like land track together, land site together. You know, this just speaks to the how young this industry is. I mean, 10 years ago, there wasn't great strategy as far as like building portfolios and across the world and how I mean this has happened over time as companies have realized like hey um, you know in the early 2000s there was a lot of capital spent on kind of this dot-com era that was growing and then there was the dot-com bust and so you had a number of companies that invested hundreds of millions of dollars in facilities that went bankrupt so a number of companies basically came in uh, bought these facilities pennies on the dollar and then converted them over time and then started doing it in a, you know, hey, we're going to do this the same way every time so that the data center that you have in Chicago is similar to the one that you have in Northern California. And it's that's our portfolio. And so when they were doing that, that led to actually going and building them in different places. And so over time, the best place to traditionally build some of these you know, larger data center facilities where you can actually build a campus is, you know, outside of the city center just because it's easier to get land so that's typically where we've seen those type of facilities be built and obviously in areas where it is so densely populated you can't do that you'll see them in other areas you might see them in industrial areas or you might see them in like flex office parks that have changed over time etc gotcha and then who who will be typically the who developing these yeah i mean it's been you know uh, data center operators or providers there was a period of time where there were a number of companies that would actually lease infrastructure, like a data center operator would lease from another data center operator. And we've seen most companies move away from that. Now, enough, there's enough capital in the space, there's enough companies that will actually you know, go build 
own and operate their own data center, uh, you know, and then they will have tenants come in. You also see there's a number of developers that will actually go and build basically the, the, the shell infrastructure and then could sell it over time. But those are the, those are typically the two people that are, are two types of developers that are, that are building space. And then lastly, you know, who is typically going to be in a facility like that from a tenant standpoint? Yeah, it is the, you know, again, if you're in this industry, it's the retail and wholesale type of data center companies. You might have a, a really large company that has a network requirement that only takes two cabinets. And so it might be a Fortune 500 company like that. It could be a smaller technology company that's a startup that's growing and they have 40 <coughs> cabinets because they're doing some sort of, you know, um, gaming system that they've you know put out there and that is is growing so it just it really depends but these are typically like small to mid-size companies the larger companies that do have like enterprise requirements wholesale requirements these are typically one to four megawatts and we've certainly seen that number those type of deals uh, uh the number quantity of them get smaller over time however that's still something that's out there today. Uh, in fact, in one of, we were just talking, um, you know, we're seeing like in Northern New Jersey, as an example, the financial industry kind of, I would say coming back to where they will actually, you know, they are doing one to two megawatt requirements now from a, from a co-location standpoint. So um, it's typically companies like that, but it's all, you know, it's financial, it's healthcare, it's technology, it's insurance, it's, you know, the gamut as it relates to what type of companies. And this is really what has birthed the market that we're in today is, those companies, the healthcare insurance, all those companies trusting the co-location operators with their data center environments. And that has created, you know, this was happening 2009, 10, 11, 12, the maturity of the providers happening as well. And when you get that all together, uh, now you have a mature data center user that has the power of the platforms of all these providers mm -hmm. in multiple US, uh, Canadian, European, Asia PAC markets. And so they're able to really grow their global portfolio with these co-location operators. And one last thing I want to talk about, I think this answer is self-evident, but I want to put you on record as having answered it. You know, you talk about like a wholesale focus versus a retail focus. And one of the things we track on our site is like the pricing. Yeah. And typically retail pricing is, you know, two to three X per kilowatt, sure. you know, from a monthly rent space. So you would think economically, you'd rather have a data warehouse full of, or a data center full of retail customers. You can just have that much higher yeah. rents. And go, I think I may know the answer to this, but why wouldn't you want that? Or why would they prefer having one or two larger clients? Yeah, I think there's a number of reasons. One uh, is, you know, focus. So there's a number of like data center operators that have, have really made their focus on attracting larger companies to their platform. And those larger companies, you know, um, sometimes it's easier to get one large company than it is to get 100 small companies. So that there's that side of it. Um, a lot of times these transactions and, and really... If, if you do this on a daily basis, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, doing the work to get a customer in that's five cabinets can take just as long as getting a customer in that's 500. So um, and that's not a shot at either of those. That's just reality of, you know, we're doing business with with a company. So, um, you know, I think that's part of it. And and then, too, a lot of times like space power and cooling is a commoditized thing. Right. There's a lot of companies that can provide that. But what the data center operators do differently from one another. A lot of times is the managed services, the operator, the operational teams, um, the focus on sustainability issues that that customer might have a specific, um, you know, 
company value on and that's why they would go there so a lot of it has to do too with we're just better designed to handle smaller companies than a lot of them than we are to handle one larger one so those are some of the reasons that you see some of the differences there okay and then you know last note where does like the concept of like a retrofit come in here where a yeah. company comes in buys a building that you know like you mentioned maybe an old telco building yeah. or like an old uh, uh publishing building yep. they typically have the at least the floor infrastructure sure. in place and then they go ahead and put in um you know a data center. Yeah. There. So what, what, how does that fit into what you just described? Yeah. I mean, this was a trend that was popular 10 years ago. Hey, I'm going to go, where's an old industrial building that I can find and retrofit into a data center. Um, over time, the, the, the data center operator community has become much more mature. Uh, they now build, uh, you know, the same type of building in different markets and there's economies of scale that come with that. And so most data center operators, when they can, would rather build a brand new facility that looks great, that you have a marketing edge over a retrofit facility. Uh, it can take sometimes almost the same amount of time. And, you know, maybe it's just a little bit more to spend on a, a new facility than it would be than to retrofit. But, you know, retrofitting a facility um, can create a number of problems that yeah, anyone uh, who's ever tried to remodel their house knows this yeah, totally i'll so, just want to take the whole thing down. Yes. just scrape it yeah yeah, yeah. about halfway through the you project. got one problem that leads to another that yes. leads to another and then why didn't we the just floorboards and now yes. you got mold and now you, you gotta, got you know, do the whole thing so so i think i think that's where we're seeing that play out today gotcha. is that most companies are going to go hey we'd rather find the site that we can clear whatever it is and build what it is we build and I think that's the trend that you'll see moving forward. Yeah. And again, we, we, we've seen companies are still doing that, but you're right. It's on a much lower, yeah, and lo, it, lo, lesser scale. Yeah. And where more. they're doing it is like locations that like strategically you have to be, and there's really no other option. So think if you had to be in a, you know, uh, as an example, like a city like, or a area like Northern California, you know, so like Silicon Valley where real estate is so expensive, it takes a long time to get into a, uh, into the market from environmental and permitting mm -hmm. purposes. And so you go, hey, we we have this facility, we could go build this, but time-wise it's gonna take you know a year longer than yeah. it would be to retrofit this facility. That would be an example of a market so where it might more like a shortcut against, sure. like you said, permitting, et cetera, yeah. so, okay. Makes sense, all right, next one is hyperscale. Ooh, I said it, bing, hyperscale <laughs> count, if you're playing uh, Count you know, the words at home. Data Center Hawk yes. Podcast Bingo. Which you got, we know you got a lot you. of people do. That's the center square, by yeah, the way. That's it's right. It's everybody's center that's square. Right. So, <laughs> so we're defined as a hyperscale data center. Our facilities like co-location data, center, data centers, but built on a massive scale. Yep. So, you know, talk about the, that and as far as maybe the different kinds built by co-location yeah. operators, built by the companies themselves. Because there's kind of an overlap, right? We've got co-location. We've got companies that build and operate their own. And then you've got a kind of like an overlap in the middle of hyperscale. Yeah. So, so keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, and the thing, I mean, this has changed the industry more than anything over the last three to five years has been these large requirements and it's done. I mean, you could spend a whole podcast talking about, and we you know, have sure many you know, times, sure, check it out. But like, <laughs> you know, the capital, how it's changed the way capital has gotten into the space, how it's changed the way data center operators have focused on larger requirements over smaller requirements, um, how it's changed the way that, you know, these 30 to 40 companies, that are really the hyperscale or, uh, companies that, that need this demand, you know, how they have approached the market, where they wanna be, how quick can they get there, how flexible can the solution be? You know, in my opinion, there's three things that, are, that shape these hyperscale developments, scalability, flexibility, and speed to market. I think that is what the hyperscale user is wanting, and I've oversimplified this, but, you know, 
there are 30 to 40 companies that have very large demands over time and they recognize, hey, we, we could go build this ourselves, but it takes X, Y, and Z, or we could utilize people that we know that we've done work with over time from a, from a <clears throat> data center operator standpoint, and they can deliver it. They have a, the economies of scale to deliver massive facilities and scale it up over time. So what that means basically is when a company has, let's say, a 30 megawatt requirement, it doesn't mean that day one they will have all 30 megawatts. Over time, it might go, you know, they might have eight megawatts to begin, and then they might, you know, grow into another six and grow into another eight and just get to 30 over a three to five year period. But you can't do that in a 100,000 square foot facility that only had 10 megawatts provisioned to it, you know, built in 2015. So what this has done and, and you know, what are the facility characteristics? I mean, these are massive facilities, mm-hmm. you know, traditionally they can start with six to 10 megawatts and then they can grow all the way up to, you know, 40 megawatts, 60 megawatts, 90 megawatts, 96. Um, these are high density solutions. So you typically have like smaller square uh, data center square footage areas or raised floor areas, but more power is being um, pulled in this because you have sophisticated users that know how to get densities up to, you know, 10 plus KW per cabinet and sometimes even higher than that. Um, you know, where they're built, they're built in areas where you can scale over time. So, and a lot of these are campus builds. So, you know, if you know anything about our space, you know, Northern Virginia has been a kind of the ground zero for hyperscale development, but it's happening in areas like Chicago, Phoenix, Northern California, Dallas, um, even Atlanta, and even some secondary markets like Portland. Uh, so I think, and, and I'm just speaking U.S. there, but that's certainly, you know, a trend that we see. Um, you know, the, the who is building and owning these facilities, I think, is really interesting uh, because it typically is a mix between the publicly traded REITs as well as the, the private operators. Yeah, and jump back to the yeah. facility characteristics for yeah. a second. How will these differ from, you know, if you're an operator, if you're digital realty, for example, and you're going to say, I've got a facility over here and we're going to kind of be focused on or chasing wholesale, maybe entertain some smaller deals yeah. in this location. But in this location over here, yeah. we're really going to focus on five megawatts and up, 10 sure. megawatts and up. How are those two facilities going to differ? Yeah, I mean, well, one is it's typically, it can take longer to fill a hyperscale facility because there's less of those larger transactions. So that's so, one. So Corey's preaching patience to his boss. There we go. Hey sure. guys, it's going to happen. Yeah. So, so that's one, that's one <clears throat> part. Um, you know, th- there's the design is, um, you know, can be around, uh, you know, thinking through how are we going to scale this over time versus this is all we have to do over, you know, this period of time, smaller facility, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, there's some changes I think that the data center operator community has made over the last five years related to like um uh, raised floor being at the actual like level at where the cabinets are coming in and not having to push anything up ramps Mm -hmm. that you're just like unloading things from at the loading dock and you're coming straight in straight onto the raised floor there's been things like uh just with door heights and thinking through like hey how can we make these bigger so that the equipment moving the equipment around is easier in the facility so some of that is you think on a large scale basis you're doing things to the facility that is going to facilitate the ease of that type mm-hmm. of demand so those are some of the things that you see you know it really does make sense to me if you think of it like a house if you think i'm going to build this house and i might put a second story on one day sure you would do things differently you would run the electrical differently you would sure. run the plumbing differently you might put in you know reinforced walls or yep. studs or footings or whatever the case may be. So it sounds like that's kind of what you're describing at the data center side. Yeah. And you think about these hyperscale facilities as it relates to, I mean, think if you were building that house and it was one story and then you said, no, you know what, we're going to, 
we're going to actually add a second story. The cost, like you can do things on the front end mm-hmm. if you know that's the end vision versus if you don't and you make that decision, you know, five years in, it's a lot more costly. And so I just think there's a greater, there's a very reasonable approach to the way capital is being spent on the data center provider side. So if you're in the investment world, you just need to know that when there's a million square foot data center campus built, it's not really going to be built that year. It takes time. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a level Once of... Once again, anyone who's ever tried to build a house, yeah, it's just, they know yeah, the it's pain. A, it's a level well. of responsibility <clears throat> that the industry has today with capital. And so I think that's, that's one of the characteristics is it's just built out over time. Sure. All right. Next, I want to talk about the enterprise data center, but I'm going to come back to hyperscale. So as we talk oh, about gosh, companies, awesome. private companies yep. who are building a data center for themselves to use yes. only, uh, how that's going to look. And then, you know, talk about what does that look differently for the very largest hyperscale users as they're building sure. their own data centers. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is, we would define that enterprise data center group as those that um, build, own and operate their data centers themselves. So, um, you know, these are strategically located and really designed and built to meet the demand that a company has. These can be uh, purpose-built facilities that, that are very strategic for an organization. These might be, you know, 20 cabinets in the uh, data center area at a corporate office building. But these are traditionally, um, you know, the, the owned assets of a company from a data center standpoint. There was a study a year and a half ago <coughs> that a company did, and I forget which company, but it was basically saying that, hey, 65% of a company's production data center still lives on site on their own premises today. And what they were trying to show is just, there's still a big opportunity for mm-hmm. those companies getting mature, doing hardware refreshes, whatever it is to then actually come out of that into something like co-location or cloud or a hybrid or approach of the two. So, um, you know, these, I would say the interesting characteristics about these facilities today, you know, is, they were built to accommodate the market in different periods of time, different mm-hmm. technologies, different types of UPS systems, different types of generators. And so most of them are outdated. It yeah, just that's is. what we've seen is like, you talk to some of these companies, when, who, the companies we most deal with are the yeah. public, the guys who are providing public location, sure. where they talk about some of these IT migrations and just yeah. the, the nightmares and the horror stories I've seen. Some of the stuff was put in in the 80s, yeah. 90s. And so I think of it again, back to the house example of like DIY, yeah. versus a contractor sure. who knows what the code is. Yep. He's got insurance, uh, you know, and he's going to build things to a standard. Whereas if you just do it yourself, you go, well, kind of makes sense yeah. to me. Bzz, sure. Drill a hole in the wall, poke the yeah. wire out. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. This, the, the quality, yeah. the infrastructure is all over the map. And they may yeah. not care about 2N plus sure. 1, or they may not even know what that means. Yeah, and there they may, just plug you know, it in. And, and there are some that are on the on the more sophisticated end, and they're their own facilities, and these are – you know, buildings and data center infrastructure and architecture that is very sophisticated. But most, I think, would fall into that category. Most who are underutilized, meaning most companies over-provision what they need. This is pretty normal. You know, a lot of our industry, um, you've got to make decisions on things that you know that day, but on things that are unknown. And so a lot of decisions are made out of over-provisioning power what you need. So you have these facilities that were a bit 10 to 15, 20 years ago, uh, they're a bit outdated. They're under-provisioned. And so companies are kind of looking at themselves going, hey, what are, what are we going to do with this? It's one of the reasons we've seen these sale leaseback opportunities come back in the space where a data center owner or operator will come and buy a facility in Dallas that a bank owned before. 
and they're not using because it's over provision and it's mm -hmm. older and they will go in and basically keep that tenant for a period of time or that that customer and then sell the additional power and space hopefully to end users that are in that market and so it's very strategic they're hard you know from a real estate perspective they're hard transactions to put together but they do allow some advantages for the data center operator and the end user too because then they can actually get cash for what it is that they built however long ago yeah, so which companies if any um and speaking of which, i want to plug this real quick the do panel it. you hosted last year with Jonathan Schildkraut and Ra, uh, Raj. Oh yeah, Raj and Abner. Yeah, and yeah. Abner. And they had, talk, they had talked very candidly about the financials sure. uh, of a sale lease back. He said a lot of these companies, they've invested like 20 million bucks a megawatt uh, in building these places, whereas you know the going rate today might be in the eight to 10 range yeah, it's just to hard. build. And so they're gonna take a bath. <laughs> and it's a hard, you know, you have to have the right people with the right mindset yes. to do the deal. Cause it's, you gotta, there's a bit of humility that you gotta, uh, you know, yeah, you got to swallow your pride yes. there. So, so. Uh, once again, similar to the house, <laughs> you know, I built this yeah. house with my two hands. Well, sir, I've got the appraisal number here. Sure. All right. So talk about which companies, if any, are, are building their own data centers today besides Amazon, Microsoft, Google, et cetera, like top end, which I do yes. want to talk about in a minute. Uh, you know, typically it's, it's a smaller number. I mean, this was a bigger number in 2004 to 2007 sure. and the capital markets went bad and companies instead of saying hey i'm gonna go spend uh, you know see if can we have 70 million dollars to go build this facility he went what hold up and it became a capex versus opex decision so do we want to spend this money outright or do we want to spend it over time and most companies chose that at the same time the co-location both wholesale and retail industry was getting much more mature much more better and so now the companies that you know, traditionally had built their own, decided, hey, this actually is better than what we were doing before. And it gives us flexibility over time after five years. If we don't want to be in this mm -hmm. facility or, you know, we've got changes to our architecture, whatever it is, we can get out. So typically it's a smaller group that's doing this. You might see some financial companies do this sometimes. You might see technology companies do this. Um, but it, you know, heavy regulatory or compliance needs can push companies to do this or companies that have had a bad experience with co-location. That, that's the other thing I would say is if you are a company and you just had a terrible experience, you would go, that will never happen again. We are going to own and operate our own infrastructure. And so that, that can be one of the catalysts to building and owning and operating your own infrastructure as well. Yeah, and let's talk about for a minute, the companies that are the notable ones, yes, Amazon, Microsoft, whoever, yep. who are building, they are building a lot of their own yeah, data centers. Now. Sure. So they're one of the few. Um, again, it's not the same as a bank or a healthcare right. company. It's very different. But you know, how are those going to differ from multi-tenant? Like just from like an infrastructure standpoint, what are the, how those look differently? Do they yeah. have? Are they two n? Are they four n? Are they six n? I mean, what do they look like? Sure. You know, their own requirements. If they're the only ones they have to, to answer to. Yeah. On the design side. Sure. I mean, I think obviously those companies are very smart and they have very well put together programs that identify what works best for their type, what type of applications that they are housing in those type of facilities. So uh, it's hard, you know, hard to say what each one of those is doing. But, you know, I think you, you certainly can identify that they are replicating at some point the same type of uh, playbook in one market that they are in another. Mm -hmm. And it all ties together with their greater portfolio. Um, so if they are building, owning and operating their own facilities in certain markets, uh, there's obviously a strategic purpose for that, and it um, and it's designed specifically to house applications that you know that that benefit them alone. Yeah. Whereas a multi-tenant site yeah. would would be very differently designed, you know, with the goal to attract many different types of companies. Yeah, 
And I think about it, even down to something like putting locks on cages, which you wouldn't need if it's your own. Sure. Uh, but you would, and obviously multi-tenant. If you know, sure. there's thirty t- customers. Yeah, in just there, different yeah. different security Little stuff levels. Like that. How yeah, you exactly? Yeah. You bet. Okay. All right. Next one, we're gonna take a little bit of left turn here. Talk about carrier hotels. Yeah. And 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 again, they're a very unique and integral part of this whole ecosystem. Yep. So. Um, what these are are buildings that are highly connected and act as a primary internet exchange point for all data traffic in that market. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's typically one, maybe two in a market. Um, and so talk about again, those, they're all very unique buildings. A yeah. lot of them are old, like the Western Union building uh, in New York, which yeah. is a very cool building. Uh, so anyway, talk about some of those. How did they come to be what they are today? Yeah. When I get older than I am today, I was going to say when I get old, but then mm. somebody would say you're old. Uh, when I have some time, age I think, is an attitude, by the way. I think that's good. You're not old unless you feel old. Gosh, <laughs> you're as old as you feel. He's just rolling out Put with quotes a, today. Put that on. Um, I think, like one day, I really would love to uh, write something, just a, a book or something that that highlights these type of buildings because the history behind them is is really interesting. Um, and you know, the the one word that you should associate with Carrier Hotels is ecosystem, and this is why uh, because it. These are buildings that have, you know, fiber providers, network providers, um, you know, interconnection points. I mean, they're, these are densely, like, highly connected buildings that the ecosystem, the value that that brings to, the, to these buildings is it's even hard to quantify. And it's why a lot of these buildings, if you're, if you're trying to take a cabinet or two and put them in one of these buildings, you're probably going to pay more than you would if you put it in a building that doesn't have, uh, you know, quite as rich of an ecosystem. And all of these buildings, as I mentioned, I mean, these are typically, these are located typically in downtown areas where there's a lot of power, a lot of fiber, so a lot of connectivity. They're typically multi-story office buildings or like industrial buildings that were built almost like 100 years ago. Some of them that Mm -hmm. have been retrofit to house data center infrastructure. And I'm going to give you some examples. Yes, so, lay it on me. Uh, just a couple of markets, like in Dallas, and if you're in the data center space, you know this, but like the main carrier hotel is the Infomart, 1950 North Stemmons. It's a great name, by the way. It tells exactly what it is. It's the Mart where you buy information. <laughs> That's it. Well, it's very straightforward. So I appreciate it's that. it's owned by Equinix, but not a lot of people know this. But it was built by Trammell Crow, and right next to this, he built uh, basically the the. Uh, market center, which was designed to bring like fashion and retail into Dallas into one spot. And so right next to that, he built the Infomart, which was designed from a technology perspective. And in the 90s and 2000s, you had a lot of telecom companies come in there. That ecosystem starts to grow and, you know, come to 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, that is the place where everything is connected from a Dallas perspective. Uh, Chicago, the, the main uh, carrier hotel in that market is 350 East Cermak. Uh, it's owned by Digital Realty. So this was a building built in 1912, 1912, mm-hmm. uh, and, and houses or housed the, the printing operations of a company called R.R. Donnelly. So, again, massive infrastructure, put in the building a long time ago, grows over time, telecom industry comes in. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, the, the main carrier hotel is One Wilshire. Uh, so this is owned by GI, GI Partners. So this building was actually built in the 60s. Multi-story, um, you know, downtown office building uh, begins to house, you know, different companies like law firms. And then when the, you know, the telecom industry took over in the, you know, 90s and 2000s, uh, it is one of the most connected buildings on the West Coast. I mean, 
It's amazing to walk through that building. Um, Boston, one Summer Street, was actually there last week, uh, owned by the Markley Group. This is just a massive building, downtown Boston, highly connected. Um, the companies that have chosen to, to go into that building are you know, some of the world's largest you know, financial companies, technology companies, um, insurance companies. Toronto, 151 Front Street. This is owned by Allied REIT. Uh, this, is built, this was built in the uh, 50s to hold the telegraph equipment. So there's just a ton of infrastructure there. So all these buildings, strategic. If you need, you go there because you, you need to be there. Sure. And, what, and talk about, standpoint. you know, how companies will typically put like a point of presence or some connection to those infomarts, or I say infomarts, in those Gary hotels. Yeah. See, it's, I'm from Dallas. Uh, and then and then kind of pipe some of that traffic out to the suburbs where we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, their main kind of location is. Yeah, as the carrier store, as, as the connectivity store has become more mature in these markets, now you can actually connect from a dark fiber perspective mm-hmm. from a facility that might be 10, 15, 20 miles away into these areas that, that have, uh, you know, a lot of connectivity. So what's that, what that has done as made even those buildings more strategic now because you can put larger deployments in one area, connect back here, cross-connect to other providers. I mean, there's there's so many different topologies that you can run from a connectivity standpoint. Um, and you can't just go and, hey, let's build a carrier so I was hotel. Say, you talk about a lot of these buildings have such a unique, storied, and long yeah, history. it takes a So long. what would it take to build one? I mean, again, not hypothetically, but, like, are there companies that are trying to um, – build the next carrier hotel. Yeah, there's there some examples of that that you can think there, of. There are some, but it just takes a long time. I sure. mean, you know, so because you got to get fiber providers in the building, they have to grow customers, different networks. And so the companies that invest in this a long time ago are the ones that are going to win here. You know, it's, it's going to take a long time before true competition can really take place. All right. So lastly, we want to talk about the edge data yes. center. Again, once again, if you're playing data center, bingo, ding, ding. you got another one. So talk about the edge data center. So, so let's define it first. And in, in our show notes we don't even have it really defined here so talk about how do you define the edge the knowing that that's the probably a doesn't really have target. it defined yet yes. yeah i mean the so, edge of what yes the edge what's the deal with the edge the goal of the edge data center classification is really to provide data center services to where the end user is so these are designed to really solve network connectivity issues uh, so they're typically smaller facilities or products uh, so built throughout the region uh, you know, to serve a smaller area. So the extreme example, Yep. your iPhone is an edge data center, true or false? Depends on who's. You know, so that's, that's sure. where this gets, it's a spectrum. Absolutely. So yeah, some people would say it's not a geographic location. Sure. It's more, you know, where where uh, the, you know, solution meets the requirements. It's got basically. storage though, compute, sure. transmit. You bet. We've got them all. So these are typically, you know, focused on housing smaller deployments, um, there have been some, pro- when I say products, these have been, you know, uh, solutions built by companies that are typically 10 to 20 racks between 150 kW and 300 kW. And you can, you know, put them in different places, N plus one to two in at the, at the electrical level, just depending on, uh, you know, the company and the customer requirement. Um, but, you know, they're different than the traditional data center development because you're not saying, hey, it has to be here. You are more flexible with where you can put these um, and, you know, they can be placed in multiple locations. So we've seen a lot of these be placed where there's heavy population densities. Uh, we've seen some of these be placed at the base of cell towers. We've seen that some of these be placed at a company's facilities because kind of like a smaller data center deployment. Um, and, you know, several development companies are working on this right now. You also have some data center operators that are either developing their own 
version of this or partnering with some of those private companies that could be good partners moving forward. I mean, the fact that we know we know this, that content companies, cloud companies, these are the ones that truly want that, that value this because being close to the eyeballs is, you know, really important. And the closer you can get and the faster you can deliver your services, the better. And when you do this, it unleashes a whole new set of opportunities on the market, like autonomous cars, like, um, you know, different things with AI. I mean, there's just, there are so many things that um, a more mature network can provide businesses and consumers today. And that's what the edge really represents. The, the primary use case we've heard is that self-driving car where you have a data center in one location, hypothetically, yep. it, it houses all of the geographical data for the you know, basically yep. range of its own cell tower yep. and then one over has that. So as the car's driving through that area, it gets information for this block yep. from this data center, next block yep. and that, and on and on. So that's, again, we think there's a lot of opportunity there. And so it'd be interesting to see how that grows. And I think it is probably where the data center market was, what, 15, 20 years yeah, ago sure. with, the, with respect to maturity and, and people knowing what exactly it is. I agree. So, all right, David, thank you very much. Uh, data center expert. Uh, again, we hope you found this helpful. Uh, again, this is a lot of stuff that's contained on our blog, yeah. datacenterhawk.com slash blog in the uh, data center fundamental series. So anything to tease about coming up next? No, I think just Red Fuel or our team needs to make sure that we've got the links below that could uh, point people to different things that we're providing. But no, we're excited about, uh, you know, the, the end of this quarter to see how the, how growth and, and supply takes place. So other than that, thanks for listening and we're excited. Stay tuned. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks.